This is Impact Healthcare, people and strategies that are disrupting the health benefits industry. And now, here's your host, healthcare benefits industry expert and the originator of the transparent health benefits movement, Lester Morales. Hey, welcome to Impact Healthcare, and I have what sometimes I call him my triple-headed monster, because this guy has the biggest brain in our business, as he has seen this from every side of the business, from he accesses healthcare himself, he purchases healthcare, and he helps employers kind of understand the mess that we are in. Steve Watson, say hello to the Impact Healthcare crowd. Well, I'm super excited, and I don't know, glad we're not doing this live, because I don't know if you want to see a three-headed monster on here, but the audio is going to be awesome. (laughs) I think they can personify what it looks like. So, Steve, one of the first things I've been starting on given that my members, my, you know, my guests really aren't people that, you know, only half are into healthcare or fixing healthcare. They're all in this full in, you know, uh, cannonball in the middle of the pool. So I always like to start, what's your why? What motivates you to work as hard as you do when it comes to impacting healthcare? So it started out when I got a 30% rate increase and I was wearing both the HR hat and the finance hat. And that was hundreds of thousands of dollars that my finance brain had to figure out how to pay for to keep the company afloat. And then the HR side was hundreds of families I now had to go talk to and tell them why their benefits were getting more watered down at a higher cost. And it just really ticked me off enough. I like I knew how to find value everywhere in my business except for healthcare. And so I went on this big journey, took me a couple of years, ended up saving a half a million dollars per year for my company, which was a lot of money. And then I started looking around. I'm like, well, I have all these letters after my name and nobody ever taught me how to do this stuff. And so I just now what really drives me is I feel like I know too much that if I'm not helping my peer group out, I don't sleep well at night. I feel like I'm complicit in this messed up system. And so I am on a journey. I'm on LinkedIn a lot, emailing everybody, carrying the banner and trying to get everybody to to learn more and empower those buyers on how to purchase healthcare in a better way. So I, I think we jumped into the pool together and we didn't even actually give the audience enough to really understand. So Steve Watson, who is he? I said this three-headed monster. He has a ton of passion on that. He's helped his company. Steve, walk us through who you are, the the letters behind your name, the organizations that you represent. So background is I'm, I'm just a guy trying to do the best thing. I, you know, father of seven kids. I enjoy my family doing stuff. But the professional side of me, I, I wear different hats because of just the journey I've been on in my life. So my background's always been in finance. I love finance, numbers, uh, got my CPA, MBA, that side of things. But a year into my tenure, the HR director quit at the company I worked for in Arizona. It's a 500-employee company specializing in social work. And they looked at me and said, you know, HR, finance, that's about the same thing, right? I'm like, what? in what world are those the same thing? But, they, you know, I'm somebody that if you... You give me an area I'm going to dive all into. So I started going to all the National SHRM conferences. I went and got certified in HR and have been wearing those two hats. Now, a couple other hats that I wear is I've had a consulting company on the side to help small businesses. And I did that for an insurance broker for a while, really dove into the numbers of how they were getting paid, what made a good broker agency as the CFO, went and got licensed as a broker so I could understand that world and, and, and do stuff. 
So I have this consulting business, HR side, CFO side, and I brought them all in together into a company that I call Trendbreakers, which is really focused on the education side of employee benefits. So how do I educate the CFO? How do I educate the HR professional about this big world of benefits, big world of broker firms and stuff on how to make the best decisions? And along with that, I started a podcast. So I have a lot of guests on that podcast at Trendbreakers. So everything you can find me on Trendbreakers, search, search and you'll find me. So. So seven kids, 18 jobs. When do you sleep? You know, between like three and four, if the kid's not coming in, waking me up. and so, <laughs> uh, so I want to dive in and start with, you know, you're sitting on the buyer side of the desk, right? You are yes. the CFO slash HR, you know, director. Talk to me about what you saw on the normal basis. Like what was the regular? Because I, I'm thinking you probably were in a seat that that most people who are going to be listening to this, that, that, that they were in that same seat themselves. Yeah. The first thing that's very important for people that are listening to this that are all in is the CFO has no clue what's going on. They may have all these letters after their name. They may have all this stuff. I had no idea how this worked, and I would only work on it for about two or three weeks at tops a year. And so I may dive into it a little bit during those three weeks of renewal season, and I would forget about it the rest of the year and come around again and be like, how does this work again? I had too much trust in the broker relationship. They would tell me that they're unbiased, that they're giving me all the options, they're doing all this stuff, and I would just trust that that broker is doing the best thing for me, that they represent me, that there's no misaligned incentives and kind of the other one is a lot of trust in HR being able to handle the financial side of things. Like we, we give it into HR, think that they're managing it the best, but we don't hire HR people to be risk managers either. So that's where I was starting the game at. It was in HR. I didn't know what I was doing. I was talking to these people, negotiating $3 million contracts that were going up, and it was driving me nuts. So if the audience member is a an employer right now and they're listening to that. They're like, man, I, I really, I, I get that, right? I, I'm not diving into this every single day. I've got 18 other hats. Our costs are going up. Knowing what you know now, what would you go back and tell that the old Steve? What would you tell that person that's sitting in that seat today? I, I would say if you were going to start up a part of your business that was multi-million dollars, how much time would you expect somebody to invest into that? What type of training would you do? What kind of expectations? Who would you hold accountable for that, for either revenue, new line of business, or a you know, cost center? And then just come to realization that that piece of your business of healthcare is a business. It's a healthcare business within your organization, and it needs to be managed as such. You have to have somebody within your organization that's accountable for it, and then give them the tools and the resources to know how to manage it, and then hold them accountable. You know, I, I love the quote, uh, Howard Schultz, you know, it was a couple of years ago. It says, you know, Starbucks spends more on healthcare than they do on coffee. Uh, and I was like GM more on steel than like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I love Buffett's quote in regards to, uh, you know, GM is a healthcare company that has a car manufacturer attached to it. It's, it's unbelievable. And I don't think, would you agree? And maybe, maybe I'll leave my opinion out of it in your, Conversation with CFO peers and HR peers, do do they view it in that vantage point? Do they look at it that they are a healthcare business? Absolutely not. 
And it's kind of how we account for it is we'll have our, our wages. We all understand that wages is a big part of our business. And then we group them all in together and we call them ERES, employee-related expenses. And we just throw in a 20% or 25%. And in that bucket is taxes and benefits and all these kind of things related to wages. And then we just don't think that we can do anything about it, that it's just kind of this is the par for the course, right? You just have to tack on 20 25%. There's nothing else that you can do about it. So I put you in front of a room of your peers. Where do you even start the conversation to try to help them figure out this mess? Where, where, where does one even start having that conversation? The, what I've found is I, I make it personal first. And so I tell a story of a couple of years ago, I had really red eyes. I had these allergies, things going on in my eyes. And I went to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, you go to the pharmacy and get this allergy drops. So I ran over the pharmacy, Walgreens, I show up there and the pharmacist is like, well, man, this is kind of expensive. I'm like, that's not a good sign, you know, hearing from the pharmacist. So it was $235. I'm like, man, my eyes are red, but you know, not $235 red, but hey, I got this fancy Blue Cross card, Aetna card, whatever. I pull that out. Insurance is going to save the day. So I pull that out and says, okay, well, it's $231. I'm like, Wow. Wow. Save me four bucks. Good job, big carrier. And I really was starting to walk out. And then I remember like, well, I have this app on my phone, GoodRx. I can look up prices in a different way. Pull that up. $75. Exact same prescription, exact same place there. 75 bucks. But then it tells me if I drive three miles away, it's 20 bucks for the exact same prescription. So I get in my car, I drive over one tenth of the cost for the exact same prescription and I get better care because now I actually get the drops in my eyes that I was getting ready to walk away from and I get up for a much better cost. And what I explained to CFOs and HR professionals like that is one transaction for one person throughout the year. And that was for me personally. Just imagine the variability that happens in all sorts of things, you know, from knee surgeries, from doctor's visits to everything. How are you managing that? How are you helping your employees get the best care that they need? They need those drops in their eyes but for the $20 cost, not the $200 cost. And so that's what I'm starting to help people understand. So now they they get it because I think everyone's experienced some big shock and all in the in the variability of, of cost. Yeah, Where do not, they... not really. Like we just assume that's all 10 bucks, right? It's all pharmacies, 10 bucks, and this is all 20 bucks. And so again, don't please don't skip over the fact because you're so in the weeds and understanding all these variabilities that everybody else understands that as well. It's still a shock for people to see that one's $10,000 and one's $20,000 or this one's $2 and that's $10 and make it real for them. Pull up a prescription that they use that they know of, you know, whatever pharmacy benefit thing that you're using, you'll be able to find variances, but make it real to them. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've been on a high deductible my entire working career. I think I've always just kind of seen that variability inevitably, but it's a very good point that, you know, you, you got to be able to experience it. Okay. So, so now I understand that there are variabilities in where I go, but, you know, you mentioned something that I think is an aha moment for some people. I'm with the big, bad, blue cross at, uh, you know, I'm not naming any names, but reality of it is I'm with the biggest carriers out there. These billion, billion, billion dollar businesses, they have to be getting the best deals out there. But it, it didn't seem in that scenario that that was actually true. Yeah. So that's another phase I go into is they can. I mean, they they have all the ability to negotiate the best rates, 
but do they want to? And so it's important for people on my chair to understand incentives, like just what are the incentives for the insurance carrier, and to explain to them that they are just money exchangers. So the example I always use is like, do you want 20% of a million dollars or 20% of a billion dollars? And just make it extreme. And so as you make it extreme, then you start to explain that insurance carriers, they get to keep 20% because ACA and all that stuff that you can study and do. But they're incentivized for premiums, for revenue, for their shareholders and everything, that more premium, more share, you know, shareholder value. So it needs to go up. So they're not incentivized to tighten down everything for you. And so you're playing against a game where they win when it goes up. You know, I, I often have that quote, uh, what we call premium, they call revenue, and nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to lower their revenues, right? So, okay, so wait a second. The person I've been with, working with for 20 years, the carrier isn't necessarily financially incentivized or aligned with me. What's next? What's the so what behind that? What, what can I do about that? You can change the game. And so then I, I will dive into... You know, the, the next is the five steps that I, I do. So the first thing is like learn. I call it the lower formula that I work with other employers about. So you need to learn about it. That's what we're doing on this podcast. We're doing, you know, learning and studying and stuff. But the second one, the O one, is you need to obtain an aligned advisor. So we talk about the carriers being misaligned and their premiums being their revenue. Well, a lot of the advisors that employers are working with still have their commission rates and stuff tied to premiums. And so as premiums go up, commission rates grow up, everything. So you as an employer working with your advisor that you worked with for a while, you are asking that advisor if you want them to lower the cost to get paid less. I mean, you just have to realize that. So you can go change your broker if you want or just sit down with them and align it. Say, look, I'm going to pay you X number. This is the expectations that I have, just like what we do with all of our employees set expectations for it. That, it doesn't, it's not, and it's not about the money. It's not about the money that they make, but it's about aligning them to your side that you win when they win. So when you obtain that aligned advisor, you move on to the third one, which is I talk about different ways to fund your health plans. And this is the big game changer. A lot of people are on step one. I call them pre-negotiated plans or fully insured plans. It's the plans that everybody most employers, especially at the size I work with, you know, the 100 to 1,000 employee life groups, even under 100, are working on, you just negotiate one time with them and then you walk away. And I group Blue Cross, Aetna, United, PPO, HSA, all within this whole group. Like you're negotiating one time and then walking away. That is not the only way to do stuff. And there is way too many CFOs and HR professionals still out there that think that's the only option because that's the only thing that their brokers have shown them. So that, and that's probably the biggest thing that I learned from in my journey when I was, again, I got that 30% rate increase. First, I looked at my broker and said, look, you're not getting a 30% raise just because Johnny had a stomach ache. Like I need to align that incentive. And then the second thing is, is I want to move into the second, second and third level tier plans, which is level funded plans, self-funded plans with a carrier. Fourth is, you know, self-funded plans with a TPA and then reference-based pricing plans are the five plans that I talk about. If you want to, Really be insightful to your employers, your prospects. Just teach them. Teach them those five things over and over again. Give them examples over and over again of those five things. And they're going to hear things that they've never heard from their current broker there. And you're going to be bringing them insights that they haven't heard before. So when you have these conversations, because, you know, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, you know, uh, I've been an insurance advisor my entire career. I, I know what I do, but... When you're talking to a CFO, 
are you saying that a lot of times they're actually shocked to hear that there are more options and that they're presented? Like I'm saying that like, kind of facetiously, but like I'm shocked that with not only their current broker, but every other Tom, Dick and Harry that might be calling on them, trying to get their business, they're not being educated around the clock by these things. No, 100%. That, that is the biggest flaw that I see in this, this whole thing is a lot of people say there's all these opportunities out there and they see that out there, but they don't understand the process. They, they're getting lost in the noise of it. And every Tom and Harry that's calling them is saying that they're going to save them 20 to 30%. Well, it sounds like Geico, like it's 10 to 15% savings. I don't really know how it works, but I don't call them back because I'm like, oh, I don't really know how that works and stuff. So just telling them they're going to save money is not enough. You have to teach them. You have to educate them. A lot of these things about pharmacy benefit plans and stuff like that, they don't work if you're sitting on a fully insured plan. They don't even work if you're sitting on a self-funded plan within Blue Cross or, or Aetna. But yet they're out there talking about these things. You got to move the chassis first. You got to get them onto the right plan. And the reason they're not on there is they don't understand it because nobody's ever taught them. So that's an interesting thought in regards to, you know, chassis and plan and, and whatever. As a former CFO, did you look at your healthcare cost in a just one year cycle or, or was there a conversation of multiple years or where you were going from point A to point B? I, I, give me any insight on that. So, so I still am a CFO. So I'm still doing that every year. And I'll just kind of tell you how I'm, how I'm doing it now is that. It's more of a one-year cycle. I mean, that's how we budget. That's how we look at it. That's how we're, we're doing stuff. I try and plan out opportunities to save money along the route. So the way that you really save money is moving through those five plans. You move. You don't have to go from step one to step five. You don't have to go from fully insured to reference-based pricing. You'll save a ton of money, but just take a step. You know, Maybe go level-funded this year. Maybe go self-funded with the carrier, the same carrier next year, and then separate out the TPA next year, carve out the PBM, then do it. Just take a step. And you'll save, you know, five, 10% each one of those steps. And it's not as scary. And so I talk through those processes, but they can choose, choose whichever one works the best for them, but at least understand those five steps. Myths. Uh, I know we've talked about this, you and I before, but being that you've had so many people call you and, and, and sell you the 15% uh, Geico commercial and you've heard pitches and now you're a subject matter expert. Give me a couple of myths that our audience could take away that they should be thinking about. The biggest one is that brokers are not biased towards the options that they're presenting. And that's what I tell the, the employers because there's commissions built in there, there's bonuses built in, there's relationships built in, there's plans that they like, there's biases. So just own it. Just own it. These are the ones I, I present and, and do it. Companies think that if they have a large claims or if they're under 500, even a thousand employees are too small to talk about these plans, that self-funding is just for these big companies. Not true. I moved my company when I, we had 250 employees and I was probably, and I, I was slower than I should have been because I was still learning how to do this. Uh, we talked about the myth of CFOs know what we're talking about. Absolutely not. I mean, it's, I know you don't want to sound stupid, but Go stupid with them, you know. Go go very very basic with them, and one of the reasons I became a CFO is because I like to understand why things work. And so, if you go down that route with a CFO and understanding, you know, peeling back the onion, each of the layers, helping them understand that, they're really going to enjoy it, you know, because they're going to understand a piece of their business that they they don't know yet. So, 
I was going to ask you from, those are the myths. So then let's flip the myths on the other side of that coin. If you have the the CFO in the room, you have the HR person in the room, what's Steve Watson's advice to them? Uh, so first off, they come from very different priorities and they need to be able to recognize that nobody wants a plan just built by finance because it's not going to be able to recruit and retain employees like we need to. It'll be like a bare bones plan, but nobody wants a plan just built by HR because it'll have every bell and whistle in it and the cost will be out of control. So you have to work together. They have to bring together. There's different components of that plan that need to work together. And it's another huge flaw that we have in the system is that we let one side or the other side do that. And they need to come together and they need to have somebody accountable for it. Like just go ask, ask companies right now that you're working with, who's the person that would get fired if the costs were out of control? And everybody's like, what? what? What are you talking about? Like, who is the person? Like, if sales were going down three, four years in a row, somebody gets fired. If costs, your steel costs or your coffee costs are going up every year after that, somebody gets fired. But healthcare is like this, you know, nebulous kind of thing. Like, nobody talks about, oh, it is what it is. I don't know who it is or, or something. Like, you need to make somebody accountable for it. So, man, I, I, I could dive into that. I, I think one of the things I, I want to do, Steve, is, is personify this for the audience. I want you to think of an employer. You could use yourself uh, yeah, because you me, are what? Like. <laughs> um, walk me through, uh, again, we, we've talked about you, social services type business. What does your employee demographic look like? So we have about 500 employees, younger social workers, mostly female, doing a lot of counseling and therapy spread across the state of Arizona. High turnover because it's an entry-level position. A lot of them okay. you know, come in and, and leave. And, and you were, prior to your journey down this road, you were fully insured, just buying it off the shelf. Um, fully insured, United Healthcare, PPO plans, had a broker. Yeah. And, and a broker that, that didn't, uh, you know, necessarily cut it. So how did you start? Like what, 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 when you ripped the bandaid off, what was your first move? My first move was just saying enough's enough. I mean, I, I was not going to take another 30% increase. I was going to figure this, this thing out. And what was shocking to me, the most shocking to me was I was getting a 30% increase because one employee had a huge million dollar claim. And so they were coming to me in year two and saying, okay, well, your rates are going up. Well, that employee didn't even work for us anymore. And I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. You know, the risk level isn't higher next year. That person's not even working here any, anymore. Why does it work this way? You know, and so they were projecting claims super high. And then I started learning and hearing about this thing called self-funding. And it makes you really nervous. You're like, I don't want to bankrupt the company. I don't want to do these things. But then started doing the math and doing the math over and over again and over and over again and looking at the, my max stop loss uh, for my aggregate stop loss was actually the same price as my fully insured. And I kept doing that. I'm like, so I have no risk if I move into this plan, but yet I get to keep all the upside. Like I'm not seeing the problem with this. And it made me nervous, but then I moved into it. I accrued the books. That's the other thing that's something that people don't do a good job of, educating the CFOs and accountants on how to do the accounting for this because it's really easy to do the accounting on a fully insured plan. And if you don't know how to do the accounting and budgeting on these self-funded plans, you can get yourself in trouble, not because the plan's bad. It's because the accounting's you know, off. But I started doing it, and I, you know, first year went into it. 
and I reversed seven hundred thousand dollars the next year because we ran better. And then the next year, I, I was accruing to the max, and then reversed another seven hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, wait a second, like this is actually maybe these numbers, these claims numbers that they're putting out there aren't real. And I mean, the longer I've gotten into this, more I'm like, they're, they're just crystal ball. Like, I don't like where do they even come up with some of these numbers? And the fact that just the fact that you can negotiate claims numbers just throws me way off. Like they should be like, this is the the computer spit out. And that you can go in there, well, I think the claims would be 10% less or 10% higher. Like, they're just negotiated numbers. Like, so that's a, you brought up a good point in regards to, you know, that million dollar claim that's no longer on the books. And, and that brings a thought up to my head that most people feel warm and fuzzy and safe in that fully insured arrangement because that million dollar claim didn't hit their books this year. But, but what you're saying is, they're going to get theirs one way or another because your increase on in your renewal. Yeah, I had a friend of mine that was on a fully insured plan, was sitting at a $700,000, had a $700,000 claim. Well, guess what the renewal was next year? $700,000. So, I mean, they're going to make the money. The carrier is going to get you either in year one, year two, year three. They're going to play it out. So just because you have these large claims doesn't mean you can't work on them in a better way under a self-funded plan. And then I, I like what you brought up again is another thing I work with employers is words matter. They really, really matter. And so when you sit there with an employer and you're like, okay, on this side, we got this fully insured plan. This is how it works. On this side, we have a self-funding plan. Just stop and think about it for a second. Fully insured sounds like a warm blanket wrapped around me. I'm all protected. Like, this is safe. This is Self-funding to the CFO sounds like you're throwing me out the window. Good luck. And, and that's not the reality. I mean, fully insured really isn't all fully insured. You have co-pays, deductibles. You're going to pay part of it this year, next year. And self-funding really is a truly self-funding. You still have stop-loss policies. You have these gap, these things put in place. So I always like to use the words pre-negotiated plans and pay-as-you-go plans. It just sounds more like how they operate. It it doesn't scare off the CFO just because of the words that you're using. And they don't know what a self-funded plan is anyways. I mean, you have to describe how it works. It's pay-as-you-go plan with a cap. That's an easy right. way to explain how it works. So you've made these changes, plans are coming down. What, what did that allow you to do for your business? Because I got I, I to gotta think, again, such a large expense as the CFO, you're, you're looking at other ways and other places to put money. What, what, what were you guys doing with some of that money? So, so the biggest things is we added things. We had a lot of people, we live in Phoenix and wanted to add the Mayo Clinic into our, our group. And so we were able to add the Mayo Clinic. People were super excited about that. We locked in our rates so nobody was getting increases. So they were super happy about that. And then the biggest thing for the employees was during all these hard times we've had with recessions over the last five, 10 years, we've had raises every single year. We've been able to keep our benefits the same. You know, 401k plans were a lot of our competitors and people were cutting their bonuses, cutting their raises, cutting stuff. We never had to do that because we were able to save the money and then push it back out to employees. Man, what I love about this is just that 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 notion that doing nothing has a cost, right? Like, hey, you could keep doing nothing, but that's not going to allow you to do some of these things. And those things allowed you to be better to your employee population. Right. And, and, and it's very personal to me. I mean, people... They, CFOs get a bad knock because we're all these money people. Like, it's my plan, too. I mean, this is my family. This is my money coming out and doing stuff. And so it's personal to me. And then I personally, I'm representing 400 of the families of the people I'm closest with that I work all the time with. Make it personal to that CFO. Make it make it about them and make it, you know, 
I think other thing about CFOs is a lot of times people think of CFOs like the public who traded CFOs that are about shareholder value and stock prices and stuff like that. It's not that way with 300 employees. I mean, we are part of that group. We're working on strategy. We're part of the executive team. We're doing stuff. We're part of the accounting team. We're trying to budget and do stuff, but we're not like the publicly traded CFOs. Got it. So, and we said this jokingly going into this, that you and I could have a 17-hour conversation. We could. I want to be crisp on this. So I want to leave people with the words of wisdom. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine learning from somebody more... You know, I've got my degree in risk management insurance, but I've never been the purchaser. Uh, I've used it, but I've never been the purchaser. So I just find that you bring this uh, such, again, my three-headed monster, right? This well-rounded, if I, I want I want you to leave it with the, the, the one thing. If, if you're an employer and the second one, if you're an advisor to employers, what's what's the one thing you're leaving each of them with? So if you are the employer, there are many, many more options out there that you're not aware of that you're able to get better benefits for your employees at a better cost, but it's on you to go do the searching. It's not going to come through your one broker that you're doing. You're going to have to learn and grow and do stuff and you'll partner with other CFOs and HR professionals. Just really quick, I was teaching a whole bunch of HR professionals and I said, well, how many of you guys took an increase last year? 99% of them raised their hand. Well, how many took a decrease? You know, one, two people raised their hand. Like, if we did nothing more, just go talk to those two people. What do they do? Like, go figure out what they're doing and, and replicate it. So that's what I would give to them. For brokers and, you know, people that are helping and advisors, I love the passion. I love what you're doing out there and changing stuff. You gotta have to, you're gonna have to slow down with employers. And the biggest thing is they gotta get on the right chassis before all of your beautiful things are gonna work with, you know, independent TPAs and pharmacy and all this stuff. If they're on a fully insured plan, Going from fully insured to level funding is a big step for some of these employers. A fully insured to a self-funding arrangement with Blue Cross is still a big step. We'll save them money. You can be that helpful. You can get them to steps four and five later. You can talk about that. You can show them the journey. But be okay with step one and step two. Like It's going to take a while for them, which is okay. And if you can lead them on that journey, you can help them along that way. Man, Steve, thanks so much. So uh, I think people are going to listen to this and, and want to follow and learn more about the journey. Where can our audience find you, keep track of you? And then shoot, some of them might want to hire you. How, how do they get a hold of you? So I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. You can find me at Steve Watson CPA on LinkedIn. I, my website's trendbreakers.com. Uh, I have put out a podcast episode three times a week at trendbreakers.com slash podcast. You can search for trendbreakers everywhere interviewing. And in that podcast, I interview CFOs, I interview HR professionals and interview benefits folks because those are the three hats that I wear. So if you want to understand CFOs better, go listen to my podcast. Listen to these CFOs about how they got into it and why they're in it. Go listen to these HR professionals, learn their story, understand their backgrounds. And if you want to understand brokers better, go listen to their podcast and why they got into it. Well, Steve, man, thank you so much for the audience out there. I think the thing I, I want to leave with, with Steve is the journey. This is not going to happen if you just hope that it happens and don't go out there and do something about that. It's why we created Impact Healthcare. And so, Steve, thank you for shining a light. Thank you for being the change. Thank you for your fellowship because you and I, I don't even think, have been in the same room too many times, uh, but a once, couple right? of times, yeah, but one time. And uh, 
I consider you someone that I can always reach out to. So thanks for the collaboration. Thanks for what you're doing. And for our audience, uh, keep listening. Folks like Steve are out there. Keep following Steve and keep doing all the things that you're doing to impact healthcare. Thanks so much, Steve. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you. You've been listening to Impact Healthcare, people and strategies that are disrupting the health benefits industry with Lester Morales. Remember, the journey to getting 20% savings on your healthcare benefits starts with total transparency. Visit impacthealthcare.fm backslash journey to access leading industry case studies, compelling member stories, and to check out all of our podcast episodes. That's impacthealthcare.fm backslash journey. Remember to subscribe to the Impact Healthcare podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.